Born here in Chattanooga, Ishmael Reed is a literary icon whose works range from poetry and prose to plays and novels. He is one of the voices in the new Ken Burns film on boxer Muhammad Ali that aired this week on our public media partner, WTCI-PBS. He's author of the book, The Complete Muhammad Ali, and here are just a few of his many reflections he shared with me about Ali's life and career. Ishmael Reed, thank you for joining us. Tell us about the first time that you saw Muhammad Ali. It was before he became Muhammad Ali, right before he became Muhammad Ali. It was 1963, and you saw him reading poetry in New York. Yes, he came downtown to a coffee shop called The Bitter End, and he read with a poet named Diane Wachowski. He's very, very well known. And I remember the convertible arriving, and there's this kid, you know, with the, the cheerful face, you know, the smiles, the curiosity looking around at the territory and, you know, surveying the territory. He read his poetry. I didn't go into the coffee shop, but I was standing outside when he arrived. By this point, he had already competed in the Olympics and his boxing career was on the rise. How much of that were you already following at that time? Because this is right before he fights Sonny Liston. Well, he was a television boxer. And I think television has really corrupted the sport because uh, boxers are now promoted on the basis of their being charismatic, you know, like Pacquiao, their good looks over their talent. That's the first way we saw him. How we became acquainted with him was through television. Then I saw him box at Madison Square Garden. And I remember a lot of celebrities were there. Jim Brown, there was Jackie Robinson. He was on crutches and everybody turned out to see this star and he lost the fight. Although they gave him the decision most sports writers, and I would agree with them, that Doug Jones, who was fighting him at the time, actually won that fight. And Doug Jones never recovered from that, which was sort of like an injustice. There, you could see that they were promoting Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time because he was a box office draw. And then talk about his relationship with the Nation of Islam, the way that you have written about it in your book about Muhammad Ali, which came out some years ago, it was a lot more complicated than how it's been portrayed in popular culture since then. I think that the what I call the Ali scribes, these are uh, mostly white writers based in the Northeast who sort of like admire uh, Muhammad Ali on the basis of his stand on the draft. But without looking at the Nation of Islam, they would know if they had actually uh, talked to some of the people in the Nation of Islam, they would know that Muhammad Ali was merely following the precedent set by Elijah Muhammad, who's the leader of the Nation of Islam. Elijah Muhammad had set the precedent of avoiding the draft in World War II. Muhammad Ali, like many of us, encountered racism. You know, I had first, my encounter with racism was on Lookout Mountain where I was drinking from this fountain as a kid, a child, and my mother grabbed me. My mother's very well-dressed, always well-groomed, polished. She couldn't drink from this fountain, but the whites could. So we've all had experiences like that. The Nation of Islam answered these questions for Muhammad Ali. So in that scene where he says, no Vietnamese ever called me N-word, he was instructed to say that. Talk more about how those three years where he was out of the ring because of his stand against the draft during the Vietnam War, 
how that impacted the arc of his career as a boxer when he was able to get back into the ring. Well, you know, despite what others have written, uh, he lived um, fairly well during those years. You know, some sports writers said that we missed the best of Ali because he's deprived of those three years. He slowed down. So Ron Lyle, his uh, competitor, said, you know, you can hit him. I mean, before he, he was so fast. As a matter of fact, Clayton Riley, sports writer, the late uh, Clayton Riley, my interview, he's like a middleweight. I mean, he's moving around like a middleweight, although he was heavyweight. But after those uh, years, those three years, he slowed down and he got hit, got hit a lot. I include the measurements of his being attacked, total punches landed, and compared them to his uh, boxing career before and after the three years. And so he took a lot of punishment. And I think uh, what happened was he stayed in the ring too long. Manuel Stewart, the great trainer, late Manuel Stewart, whom we, we interviewed in Las Vegas, said that he should have quit after the uh, fight with George Foreman in Zaire. Why do you think he stayed in the ring too long? What do you think yeah. drove him to stay in the ring as long as he did? Well, I think he had to, he had to take care of this entourage. He's picking up these people's bills. They're very generous. I don't know about his philanthropy in terms of uh, institutions or, or you know charities, but I know that he gave a lot of money to individuals. And one of the people I interviewed in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, said that he would give, he's very generous to him. He would give him thousands of dollars just on a whim. So I think he had this huge entourage and he had to pay child support, just had a lot of bills and was in debt. But uh, I think 30 people traveled with him to Manila, Florida Manila, when he fought Joe Frazier. So he picked up all their bills. And as a matter of fact, you know, he fought his last two fights while experiencing brain damage, according to uh, his trainer. He fought the fight with Burbick and the last fight with uh, Larry Holmes, where he took a, a real beating while undergoing uh, or experiencing brain damage. You also have written about his journey, Ali's journey from his views of black nationalism, his association with the Nation of Islam in the 1960s, to what you describe as universalism. He had an appeal to many different religions. As a matter of fact, he was celebrated by Buddhists, and he abandoned the black nationalist point of view. So did Elijah Muhammad in 1974. Before he died, he went to Ireland and met the Grady's. Abraham Grady was an ancestor. And, uh, you know, I, I met his mother, Muhammad Ali's mother. You could tell the mixture there, our Irish African mixture. You could tell it was, it was obvious to me, her looks, her appearance. So he went to uh, Ireland and thousands of people turned out and met the Grady's, his ancestors. And so, uh, you know, he had abandoned this sort of like narrow view of our ancestry that we had in the 1960s. Assess his legacy as a boxer, how you see he fits into the pantheon from even before Jack Johnson to what boxing has become today? Well, it's become a joke. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at more UFC stuff than boxing. <laughs> Actually, you know, I think uh, some of these promoters have destroyed the sport. But I think his legacy is that, you know, boxers began to, to make more money like boxers. How would you regard him among the other boxers, those that came before him, those of his time before boxing became, as you've described it today? Well, I, I think it's hard to tell. I think Joe Lewis probably uh, was more powerful a puncher. But, you know, he made fun of Joe Lewis. He, for example, described Joe Lewis as like a mummy, really one dimensional, where I think Muhammad Ali exhibited a variety of techniques. But he was a scholar. I mean, he uh, his idol was Sugar Ray Robinson 
who was pound for pound the best, probably the greatest boxer in history. Of course, I think Floyd Mayweather is underrated. He's a, what you call a bad, bad end in the South, you know. So uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves, but I think Floyd Mayweather is probably competitive as uh, one of the great boxers. But I don't know. I think there's going to be a before his the three years, Ali and what happened afterwards, and uh, then his triumph in uh, the Zaire over George Foreman, I think is probably the peak of his career. That's his greatest achievement. Depicted in another documentary, When We Were Kings. In that film, you see Slow Down, that uh, Ropado. Instead of the dancing around and all the agility of the earlier fights, what he noticed was that after six rounds, Foreman became exhausted a lot of times. And so he waited around until he, the guy was really ran out of gas. He just almost just fell when he got hit. Talk about the last time that you saw Ali in 2005. Well, you know, I went to uh, this $1,000 gala, my first $1,000 gala. I spent the thousand dollars to get into the, the opening of the Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky. I was the only one who wasn't applauded or recognized as I walked down the red carpet. I felt like really <laughs> I'm walking down the red carpet. <laughs> and I met a lot of people there, BB King, all these celebrities, you know, and Dundee and all of them, you know, all these celebrities. It was sad because uh, you could see that uh, Ali was really suffering from uh, all this damage that he probably suffered in those fights. My brother's a doctor, he said it's not Parkinson's, it doesn't look like Parkinson's disease, it was like dementia brought about by all these injuries to the head, concussions. He just seemed uh, spent and fatigued. And Yolanda Ali probably saved his life or lengthened his longevity because he was broke and some people said he was near death until he met her. She had a crush on him since she was a child. And after Veronica, third wife, left him, she married him and he sent her to business school and she was able to finagle that $50 million deal where the same firm that uses Elvis Presley's name, she gave them permission to use his name for $50 million. And so once in a while, you'll hear his name on, you'll hear him in a commercial on television. That was the result of that deal. So he's able to live out the rest of his life in comfort because of her. Now, when I was uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky, a lot of the guys, uh, hang, you know, the guys who were part of the entourage, they complained about her because she cut off contact with all of them and uh, supervised his calls so that uh, he would be bothered by these guys. And they were really upset. Even his brother, Rockman, they were all complaining about her attitude about the entourage and the hangers-on and all that. So she protected him and uh, he was able to live the uh, rest of his life in relative comfort. And if people want to follow your work in any way, is there a place they can go online? Yeah, IshmaelReed.org. IshmaelReed.org has all my stuff there. All right. Ishmael Reed, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Watch the Ken Burns film on Muhammad Ali online anytime through October 10th at WTCITV.org.